Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. We got this. We got this. Okay, so I want to invite you to uh, sink into our scripture for today, Mark 4, 26 through 29. Um, by the way, I just want to name that um, uh, Dr. Odin, who's a New Testament scholar, argues that Mark was born in, Cyp- um, uh, in Alexandria, which was in northern Africa. And so uh, some New Testament scholars are like, Mark was an Mark was, uh, African writer. <laughs> and so uh, as we're celebrating Black History Month, let, let the record show that um, this in itself might be engaging a black text. Hallelujah. So uh, yeah, okay, I can, <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. We bless the Lord. So um, um, by the way, if you look at the table of contents of the Bible, where is Mark? Gospels. Gospels. Uh, Gospels are the stories that we have of the life of Jesus. Mark is the shortest and many argue the earliest gospel. So I'm going to read through this and then I'm going to ask you to shout out a word or phrase that sticks out to you. All right. Then Jesus said, this is what God's kingdom is like. It's as though someone scatters seed on the ground and then sleeps and wakes night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer doesn't know how. The earth produces crops all by itself, first the stalk, and then the head, and then the full head of grain. Whenever the crop is ready, the farmer goes out to cut the grain because it's harvest time. All right, all right. So um, if you're joining us live stream on the chat, hello, hello, you can put um, in the chat what word or phrase stuck out to you. And for those of us who are here on site, what word or phrase stuck out to you from this reading? You just call it out. Harvest time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Scattered seeds in the ground, on the ground. Scattered seeds on the ground, yeah. All by itself. Doesn't know how, yeah, all by itself. Yeah, isn't that something? Ready. Ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just want to show that I exercise a lot of artistic discipline in preparing for the sermon. I was going to go into like a 15-minute discourse on the history of the Grim Reaper. <laughs> and, this, <laughs> and then I realized it was completely... Un- okay, some of us would have preferred that over the sermon. I understand. So uh, it was completely unrelated to the take I wanted to make. But um, there is a very interesting history of the Grim Reaper in this text. Let the record show. Okay, we are in the middle of our sermon series. Kingdom, and it is all about these texts that are exploring the kingdom of God. If you are reading through the Bible, you will notice that the kingdom of God is a central preoccupation of the ministry of Jesus. He hardly can't go anywhere without talking about the kingdom of God. And so this sermon series is looking at those texts and training us to recognize the kingdom of God as it is emerging in our current world. Because if we can't recognize little pockets of hope, if we can't recognize peace and joy as it springs up, how in the world are we going to create a world of peace and hope and joy and justice? Amen? So uh, so that's what this sermon series is all about. 
Um, after I preach, there will be a time called sacred witnessing when people in this room can uh, speak at the mic. Uh, your focus question for today is, what is something that you help with but is way beyond you? Do you know what I mean? This is a very particular dynamic. What is something, <laughs> okay, some folks are already feeling some things. What is something that you were like, um, I'm contributing to this, but it is something that is so much bigger than I am. Um, I also want to start off by just thanking our research team. We have a sermon research team. Hiya! So, like, they read articles and commentaries and, uh, and do deep dives into the text to help set up the preaching team for success. And the research team did a really fabulous job finding lots of different articles that, uh, that went into this sermon. So thank you. If you're ever interested in being on the research team, if you're someone who's like nerding out over Bible commentaries and looking at the Greek and that kind of thing, then of course let us know, but the team is pretty amazing. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we can show some love for the research team. Yeah, bless the Lord. Woo! Okay, so um, do you ever find yourself, like me, asking the question, is God going to fix this? <laughs> is God going to fix this? Like, as I'm looking around at the world and what's going on at the, at the genocides, plural at the, at the wars and the and the and the fact that in the most successful movie of all time uh, that is against patriarchy only the guy got the nomination to the thing like is god going to fix it the white guy um is god gonna fix this is god gonna fix this i've i've been a um you know, I was born here in Minnesota, raised here in Minnesota, and I'm walking outside on February 3rd, and I'm like, wait a second, is God gonna fix this? It is like a bright summer day uh, when, uh, when we were supposed to be having feet of snow. Is God going to fix this? It's a question that comes not from my like critical thinking brain, but just kind of from this base place of like, what's gonna happen? Is God going to fix this? And there's lots of different Christian responses to whether God is a God who fixes things. Um, some folks uh, who identify as Christian, uh, for example, um, uh, believe that we don't need to work on climate change, which is the most racist disaster in our, you know, like it's just like, it's, it's, it's like burning our whole world, especially the global south, um, because God is gonna fix it. And so for example, um, uh, in, in Pew Research found that um, people who believe that climate change is not too serious or not a problem, in the general US population, about 20% of uh, of Americans believe that climate change is not a problem, while uh, among white evangelicalism, that is 38%, so almost double uh, uh, the chances that, that they believe that climate change is not a problem. And furthermore, that climate change is not a serious problem because God is in control of the climate. So the general U.S. population says that 11% 11, 11 of the general U.S. population believes that climate change is not an issue because God is in control of it, and uh, that's 29% among white evangelicals. 
Um, and of course, like New City is a United Methodist Church, which is part of the mainline Christianity. And let the record show that it is less than the general population among the mainline. <laughs> so if you were to go to New York and talk to random people, you would encounter more people who believe that God is in control of the climate than if you went to a United Methodist Church in New York. I don't know what that means about our, th I don't know, I'm not gonna read into it, but I, I just think it's interesting because the question is, is God going to fix this? And some of our Christian uh, 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 people who self-identify as Christian are saying like, well, yeah, God is going to fix it, meaning we don't need to do anything about this. Like they encounter this Mark text and they're like, well, you know, God is planting the seed and growing the seed and the farmer's just like, cholala, I'm just gonna sleep on it. And, and, then, and then it'll just work out. It'll just work out is what comes from some of our uh, some from folks who identify as Christian. And then of course I'm in a lot of community organizing circles and I'm trained as a community organizer and, and I'm part of a lot of communities that are like, God is not going to fix this. We need to do this right now. <laughs> like we absolutely need to fill the streets until the world is no longer burning. Like that is, that is our prerogative and like kind of, you know, if, if you believe God, maybe that's like a private thought that doesn't really matter about how we're shifting things. I'm part of a lot of organizer circles that are like, like it's nice if you pray, but, but we are the ones who are going to change things and, and we have to push, we have to get out there. And, and, and so I'm, do you see how that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, instead of being like, well, God's gonna fix it, I don't worry about it. It's like, well, only we are going to fix it. So we have to push. And I just want to name that, that in many regards, I have uh, uh, a lot of affection for uh, activists and organizers, but I want to name that both of these miss the vitality of God. Both of these miss the vitality of God. Vitality means like life force, like the thing that is like persisting in life, the thing that is like causing like uh, uh, weeds to break through concrete. Like that's what vitality is. And, and sometimes as much as I love organizers and am showing up to actions and in solidarity with organizers, sometimes I feel like we miss the vitality of God. And, and, and we're the worse off because of it. Because what this uh, text shows us, what Mark shows us, is that the kingdom itself is alive. The kingdom itself is alive. Did you hear the image? Uh, uh, the story of a farmer who planted a seed and then rested night and day and slowly, slowly, that seed came to life on itself and grew into something that sustained more life, grew into wheat that could then sustain more life. And the farmer kind of had a role in it, but the mystery, the life force, the spiritual vitality came from God. And that was the focus of this uh, text in Mark. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, the, like, like Jesus is describing something that's not just something that we build. Jesus is describing something that has a life of its own. The kingdom itself is alive. 
And some folks would have you believe that this text is only about the end times, that this text is only about when you die. Like that harvest thing, Grim Reaper, okay, where it's like, like this is only about souls that are going to go to heaven. And, uh, and I think that that is not faithful to the text. I think that this text and so many of Jesus's kingdom of God texts are talking about the kingdom of God emerging now and then coming to completion later. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like spots of it are happening now and then it'll be fully there down the line. Uh, we have to believe that the kingdom of God is something that it, we could witness today even and that we continue to nurture and grow. As one, uh, as one theologian said, for Africans, a God who saves tomorrow is not a saving God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Father Agbonkionmege i Orobator, and he is a, uh, um, a theologian who is also the dean of Jesuit School of Theology. And he's like, if we're waiting for God to save tomorrow, then we're missing God. <laughs> like God is saving us today. God is saving us right now. And if we're not connecting to that, then, then where does God live? <laughs> we have to look at the material systemic transformation, the material systemic transformation that God is bringing and naming that as the kingdom of God because the kingdom in itself is flourishing, is alive, is vital. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like we're trying to look at a God who is actively working right now. So what does that mean? Are we supposed to just sit back and let God who's working today do God's thing because it's all a mystery? No, we are farmers. And our job is to create the conditions for the mystery of God's flourishing to take hold. Do you see, this is a fundamental shift. It's not that we take responsibility for all of these things, like it's only us. It's rather that we're creating the conditions for flourishing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like farmers are people who are like, it is my job to make sure that there is enough water and nutrients in the soil and clean air and I'm planting in a place that will get enough sunlight so that the mystery of life can continue, so that the flourishing and vitality can continue to grow. And so our job is to create the conditions, but from a Christian changemaker perspective, it's not so that we can be the center in the center stage. It's so that the spotlight can be on God's amazing vitality that is changing everything. Like, like we get to be like, okay, I set the stage, and now look at what God is doing. That is the privilege of being a person of faith. Like, wow, look at what an honor it is to create space for God. Listen, um, I'm getting married on Saturday. <laughs> well, well, well. And I, um, and so like we've spent so much time planning. Just amazing numbers of hours planning. Um, weeks and months and actually over a year planning. But the point isn't to center uh, uh, us in the planning. And that's, this is actually, Brian and I really believe this. Like, 
The point is that we're gathering together to point out what God has done in our lives and say like, isn't this a miracle? Isn't it a miracle that Brian and I, two church workers who happen to be around the same age and are both queer and are both in the same place and are both um, people who have gone to therapy, bless the Lord, and who are like, who get along with each other could have found each other and then made a life. Look at God. Look at God. Hallelujah. Statistically unlikely. Bless the Lord. Look at God. Look at this God of love. Look at this God of love. Look at this God who made something that we couldn't we couldn't have made possible on our own. This wouldn't have been possible on our own. Any of you who have been in love know this. And not just romantic love, by the way. If you love a child, if you love a neighbor, if you love a roommate, you know that is an impossibility. That love is a miracle. And our job is to create the conditions. You know what I'm saying? Our job is to be like, let's see what God will do if we create some space for it. Let's just see what the Holy Spirit has in plan. Because it's way beyond what we can imagine. That's like the mystery, right? That's the mystery. Hallelujah. Um, And so, like, what does this mean for us in practice? You know, what does this mean for us who are uh, people who really believe that we have to show up to create change, people who really believe in organizing to create change. What does this mean for all of us? So I was in a, um, in a retreat planning sen- uh, session for the Grapevine Collective, which is a nonprofit that New City launched to um, kind of catalyze some of the organizing that's happening in this building. And, uh, and uh, kind of the intention with Grapevine is that we are an intentionally not faith-based group. Like we are, uh, the Grapevine Collective is like a secular group that is doing this organizing. In part because we um, know that a lot of the organizers we work with are uncomfortable with explicitly faith-based stuff. And also because uh, uh, grants. I'm just <laughs> gonna be real, like there's, there's like a thing where like, it's a, so we were like, okay, we're gonna be organizing in a way that is not explicitly faith-based. And we uh, wrote this, this is our vision statement. We believe in a world that has the inborn ability to heal itself. <laughs> We must create the conditions for that healing by practicing solidarity that leads to justice, wholeness that leads to abundance, and presence that creates an imagination for a resilient future. So like, this is what the Grapevine Collective is up to, and this is for the sake of not being faith-based, but do you see how this is Mark 4? Like, this is what Jesus was about. The kingdom of God is like a mysteriously growing plant that we have to nurture, but that we will never control. That is what this building is about. This whole, every nook and cranny, every room is dedicated towards creating the conditions for the kingdom. The conditions for something new and vital and healing to grow because we desperately need it. This neighborhood of all neighborhoods knows that. So we are dedicating ourselves to this Jesus vision of the kingdom of God where we can create the conditions. Mm -hmm. 
And if you are part of this community, whether it's your first time, your first time in a long time, you are part of a movement that is creating the conditions for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I want to close with one more illustration. Um, because I hadn't heard of this historic figure until I started researching for this sermon, but I want to talk a little bit about Lois Curtis. So Lois Curtis is someone who uh, grew up in Georgia, and she had intellectual and developmental disabilities that led to her hospitalization and institutionalization, where she lived in a hospital from the ages of 11 to 29. She lived in a hospital from the ages of 11 to 29, and she wanted to get out. And she was working with doctors, and, uh, and you know her care team said, you know, actually, Lois is in a place where she doesn't need to be living in this hospital anymore. She doesn't need to be institutionalized anymore. But there was no place for her to be able to get the type of assistance that she did need while living outside of the hospital. And so she remained in this hospital. And so she advocated for herself. She uh, reached out to a free legal line and said, uh, I need to get out of here. And so she um, uh, successfully sued the state of Georgia, leading to the landmark Olmstead Supreme Court case in 1999, which paved the way for in-home care for elders and the disabled. And, and you can, um, in her biographies, you can read um, about her prayer life that, that in, while she was in the hospital, she would pray to God every night. She would cry herself to sleep and pray to God every night, please let me get out. And she carried this Supreme case to the Supreme Court and made a policy that changed what care for elders and the disabled looked like permanently from that point on. Like everything that we are encountering where anyone is able to stay home and have someone come to them is because of this case. Lois Curtis moved and shaked the world. And, and it was from uh, uh, this, um, while she was home, she discovered that she loved art. And her, she uh, created all of these paintings that was eventually recognized by the Obamas. And, <laughs> like, y'all, are you, are you, like, there's so many things that I want to talk about here, but just a couple of things to point out. One, Lois Curtis is creating the conditions. Her whole argument before the Supreme Court said, uh, uh, people in my condition and people who are like me would do better in community than in institutions. We, our life would be better, fuller, richer, more just, and we would be able to be part of something if we were able to live in community. She said, uh, we need to break down these categories of what it means to be disabled and look at what the people with disabilities actually need and then create the conditions for the people with disabilities to flourish. Lois advocated. And I think that like as an activist, it's like she self-liberated, you know, like she was someone who, who uh, pushed and that is absolutely true. And we should absolutely have way more like, like why isn't her name a, a table conversation in every family in America, right? Like she changed the United States. And also, as someone who loves God, I can't help but notice God's fingerprints on every step of this. Who 
who was it who in the beginning of the universe said, I'm going to create someone who is so beautiful named Lois one day? Who was it who listened to Lois's prayers every night and said, girl, we're gonna get you out. Girl, we're going, I hear you, I care about you, and we're going to change, we're gonna make a tectonic shift so that you can be free. We're gonna bring this right up to Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 1999 so that this can change. Who was it who was the God who made sure that those legal lines were available and that, and that God moved in the line, lives of those <laughs> lawyers who can be a very cynical people, by the way, who said, like, no, we have to volunteer to do this. Who was it who moved through the hearts of all those Supreme Court justices? Who was it who moves through the lives of personal care assistants so that people with disabilities can continue to live in community? Who is it who continues to find ways for us to build community together? Of course it's people, but I have to believe that God's Holy Spirit is moving through people every step of the way. I have to believe that God's Holy Spirit is saying, we are pushing towards the world that I want all of you to live in, a world of justice and hope and beauty, a world where the lowest of, of our society can find the art that she needs to express, where a place where we can all be free. That is what God wants. And the kingdom of God is emerging everywhere. Our job is only to create the conditions. Amen, amen.